Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is apocalyptic readings. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I am Pastor Amanda Zentalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, there is a reason we've chosen this topic, and it's mainly because this time of year in the church lectionary, these are the readings that we get. Why is that? We do. It's really interesting. In these last weeks between All Saints Sunday, when we recognize those who have died, and before Reign of Christ Sunday, which is the last Sunday of the church year, we have these couple of weeks, these two or three weeks. And normally what happens is we get these kinds of readings that feel really judgmental, readings that talk about end times, readings that talk about how the world is going to end. It gets that apocalyptic feel. And part of it is that it's pointing towards why do we need the reign of Christ mm. versus the reality of our current world. You got to have a reason for this whole, we were waiting for this guy for a long time. <laughs> well, or just the recognition that stuff kind of sucks when we're in charge. <laughs> so where do we get these readings from the Bible? Are they Old Testament or are they from some other place? Both and you get a bit of both of that. So if it's coming from the Hebrew scripture, we're probably hearing from one of the prophets. So one of the truth tellers, people saying, if you continue in this behavior, here are the consequences that are going to happen, right? That's what a prophet is. It's less about divining a future and saying these things, I foresee them happening. It's, look, you are making X choice. The eventual consequence of X choice is this situation. So knock it off because that isn't what God wants for you. God doesn't want weeping and gnashing of teeth. God doesn't want people to starve and for entire empires to crumble and leave those with nothing with even less. But if you continue on this pathway, then that's what's going to happen to you. So knock it off. And that's the kind of word we hear from the prophets in this time. And so that's what we hear kind of from Hebrew scriptures. From the Greek scriptures, we hear things like the first letter to the Thessalonians from Paul, which is the earliest writing we have in the New Testament. And in that one, Paul is talking about how things are going to change in the blink of an eye. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We don't know when this is going to happen, but it's going to happen quick and it's going to be fast and we can't predict it. And so Paul starts talking about that return of Christ. And that's what's coming out of the epistles, out of the letters. And then our gospel accounts oftentimes are pieces that are writing about the judgment of people, mm. about doing right and doing wrong, especially this year in Matthew, in this section of the year, we're getting a lot of do this or you're going to end up weeping and gnashing teeth. This sounds like not a great message, especially given the current climate. How how do you it's deal with every that? Every November. Yeah, is it? Yeah, yeah. It's every November we get this kind of stuff. It's awful. It's a challenge for me. I understand apocalyptic writing is writing that is revealing, right? That's the purpose of it, that it reveals what we need to see about the discrepancy, about the differences between God's intention and our reality. 
And that's the point. It's to reveal that discrepancy, to bring it to light. And I think the reason why I have a hard time with it is because there's so much that we can take and just make it us as them. We tend to not give space for the hard word to be about ourselves. And we make it about the people that we don't like. And so it lends itself, it can lend itself to an interpretation of, I have it right, you have it wrong, you're going to burn. (laughs) Well, yeah, but that's kind of what feels self-righteous and good to us, isn't it? Sadly so. Oh, totally. Totally. It feels great, except it's really not. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's not God's intention, and it's not what's at the heart of it. Now, I'm not saying make nice. Please don't hear me say that because accountability is a huge part of being a person of faith, right? Being held accountable and being held to a community standard, that is part of being in a community of faith. God's love will reach everyone regardless. And these kinds of readings are saying, If you choose to ignore the science, if you choose to not use the tools that you have been given, masks, physical distancing, more people will die in our community and will be sacrificed because of our failure to be held accountable to the actions that will keep us safe. So I'm not saying to just let go and let God, right? It's not about that. Accountability is real and important. It's also not about saying you're not wearing a mask, so you're condemned forever and always, and God's love can't extend to you. Or you're wearing a mask, so you are condemned forever and always, and God's love can't extend to you. So how do you take them any other way? How, do you, how can you use them for a force of good instead of evil then? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the same way that we use accountability and warning as a force of good. I mean, to look at someone that you love and to say, if you continue this destructive behavior, I will not be able to be in relationship with you. If that person can find a way to end that destructive behavior, then that revealing, that apocalypse, that harsh word of reality gives the opportunity for reconciliation, reparation, and healing, right? But it's hard. And these words are hard. For the readings that show up in the lectionary, remind me, we get usually an Old Testament, a New Testament, and a gospel. Is that correct? And a psalm as well. And a psalm. Do the psalms tend to be apocalyptic as well, or is that its own separate thing? This week's coming up is, for sure. It's all about anger and wrath wiping us away and we are yeah so is this the time of year when we tend to hear a lot about you know quote unquote god's wrath or the wrath of god oh yeah so what do you do every year how do you deal with this kind of rhetoric especially at a time when people tend to be on edge from the you know we're in north america it's getting colder it's getting darker Mm -hmm. not everybody enjoys the holidays that are looming yeah i think i try very hard to walk that line of understanding grace and accountability. Another very Lutheran way to say that is law and gospel. Hold that tension. And so 
even in lifting up the stories, that we can also find the way to see the grace in it. So for example, this week, we have one of the worst parables ever to preach on, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, and it's the parable of the 10 talents. Okay. And the master gives the folks five talents and two talents and one talent, and the one person hides theirs, and then the others like double the money, and the one who just hit it's like, you're a mean person, and you're a bad master, and I knew it, and so I hid it. And yeah, here it is back to you. You can just have it back. And then this is where that you've done well, my good and faithful servant comes from. Mm. The other two, you'll enter into my joy. And then this one, the parable master says, you should have at least put it in the bank and gotten me interest, throw them out, weeping, gnashing of teeth. You're condemned for not following through. So we get this kind of scripture passage and you have to try to find a way to find good news in there somewhere. Yeah, these are the ones especially. I'm not a huge fan of the parables because I always feel like either I'm a terrible mustard seed or I'm never the person (laughs) I'm supposed to be in them. Yeah. And this one especially, there's not a lot of happy. No, like do you want to be the person who ran the market, made double the money for an unworthy master, right? But if you can start to dig into it, and wonder about it and ponder, well, is it really that this master is unworthy? Or could it be that the individual has created an understanding of scarcity and fear and is hiding, right? And what happens when we are generous and open and hopeful and trusting? And so we can take the parable and flip it. But it's hard. Yeah, like it is. It's really, really hard to be able to dig in and do the pondering and the wondering in the same way that if you do an intervention for a loved one, that it's hard. It absolutely sucks to do. In the end, you hope and you pray that you may save a life and you will repair relationship. It always seems like it's stretching, right? Like it's a leap of faith in its own way to sort of flip something like this on its head and... I'm not ever convinced that it's going to turn out better in the end. (laughs) But the promise of apocalyptic writing is hope and a new world and a new way of being. The book of Revelation is not just a book about the threat of tearing down and tearing apart of things. The book of Revelation is a promise of a restoration and a new creation. It's the promise that on the other side of things we don't understand and violence that we experience is a place of safety, a place of hope, and a place of healing. That's always what's on the other side of these revelations, of this apocalyptic conversation. I got to tell you, that is not the mental image that I have of the book of Revelations. (laughs) The mental image I have is fire and anger and righteousness and judgment. And I've always been scared by the book of Revelations and the apocalyptic writings, and I don't really want to hear them. (laughs) (laughs) Super fair. And especially because in the last 100 years, there has been a theology that has come about 
that uses apocalyptic literature as a fear tool in order to inspire conversion. That is a very North American tactic, and it is very young within our theology. Is it? Well, it's pervasive because it's certainly taken hold. In North America in particular, absolutely. But it's not that old. It is not something that goes back even 500 years. Interesting. Remind me again, where is the book of Revelations found? The book of Revelation is the very last book in the Bible, in the Greek scripture. And technically, this is one of those things. It's called Revelation because it's the revelation to John. Okay. Interesting. So when it comes to this every year, do you tend to preach on these or do you try to find something more topical? Or is there enough in the Gospels themselves, depending on which cycle of the lectionary you're in, that you can find something there? Because I'm a lectionary preacher... I stick to the lessons that are there and I just wrestle through them with everybody else. And I think that's a good practice for me because otherwise I might just avoid it. Oh, sure. I would. (laughs) Right? I could just skip over this parable with great joy and delight, but it's there and it's a parable that matters because it is so hard. And it's paired up with 1 Thessalonians this week, which is a fascinating pairing to take the earliest writing in our Greek scriptures and pair it up. It's a fascinating combo this week in particular. And I think each week as we see this kind of we need God more than we know kind of language can pull us toward that hope for the reign of Christ to say, okay, we've really seen how much we mess up and we can really see how much we get it wrong. So let's be hopeful for God's kingdom and God's creation. And we end the liturgical year there with the proclamation that in some way that we don't know and when we don't know, this will all change. And that's the reign of Christ Sunday. In the following week, we start the liturgical year all over again, and we sit with John the Baptist, and we hope, and we point to Jesus, and we sit with Mary, and we hope for an overturning of how we create this world as human beings. And so that's the cycle. That's what we have. And I guess it's taken me 15 years to start to really find a way into this rhythm that isn't just full dread. Sure. (laughs) but maybe understands a little bit that we need to look and maybe 2020 really brings it home, right? To look at how much we mess things up to say, yeah, we get this wrong a lot. When you get readings like this, and I know you do a fair amount of digging in and seeing how you want to play around with it when you're doing your sermons, where do you go? Do you talk to other pastors about these things or is there some other place you try to dig into this? Lots of different places. So I think we've done a podcast on preparing for a sermon before. We have. And so folks can find a link to that on our blog page or go look on the church basement page and see where you can find it. But pastors meet, preachers gather together. There's a lot of different commentaries out there, a lot of writings. There's a lot of people who have tried to make sense of this hard stuff. A lot of people a lot smarter than me have tried to make sense of this stuff. So spending time 
reading and talking and praying and wrestling and wondering is really, really what happens. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's going to lead me to my last question. When you're in seminary, what do they teach you about these kind of apocalyptic writings? I think the piece that I really took away, and if people don't take away anything else from this podcast but this, this is what I would hope, is that apocalyptic readings are not about threatening. They're about revealing. Ooh, that's going to be hard to overcome. I know. And that's being a Christian in North America in this century. But in the same way that listening to the prophets is not about telling the future, but is about telling the truth, apocalyptic readings are not about threatening. It's about revealing. Revealing what is broken, revealing what is hard, revealing where things are falling to pieces so that we turn to hope and we turn to the promise that things can be different. I'm kind of sitting here with a dazed look on my face. (laughs) And I'm really going to lean into that as much as possible because we are all needing it at the end of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about apocalyptic readings. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for joining us. Remember, God's word is to give us hope, even when it is frightening and scary and uncomfortable. May the revelations open our eyes so that we can recognize what is happening, find a way to repair what is broken, reconcile the things that hurt, and find healing in our community. There is so much work to be done, and I'm honored to do it with you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what.